Hope everyone is doing well this fine afternoon. I'm your host, Mike Garcia, and this is the second episode of the Passioners Podcast. We bring you stories of some of the most innovative entrepreneurs in different sectors and stages of business of our era. Jen Kang, Fernando Garcia, and I are the co-hosts, while Clara Helms focuses on our Instagram page, and Lana Hatziomonovic draws all of our arts, including the main art and all of the episode's arts. For more information on our team, visit our website at passionerspodcast.com. So if you have any companies or entrepreneurs that you would like us to reach out to, send us an email to passionerspodcast at gmail.com or send us a message on our Instagram at passionerspodcast. Unlike other podcasts, we actually respond. And please follow and rate us. It helps support five college students with a dream and it honestly doesn't take too much. And now let's get into today's episode. Today we have the honor of interviewing Jesus Cepeda. Jesus Cepeda is a co-founder of Old City, a GovTech company based in Mexico City. Old City is currently operating in Mexico, Argentina, Chile, Panama, Costa Rica, and they have also previously worked in Peru, Bolivia, and Brazil. Old City built an open source blockchain platform that gives people the liberty to create a template. Due to this creation, they allow people to issue their own digital certificates. Mr. Cepeda, why did you choose to start a company in the civic tech sector? Uh, you know, it, it has a lot to do uh, where, uh, with the city where I live. Uh, I, I was born and raised in, in Monterey, Mexico. I'm actually right now in the metropolitan area of Monterey. It's a two-hour drive from Texas, the United States. So um, uh, the city was always considered one of the best cities to live. It was actually once one of the top 10 uh, best or smartest cities in the world by Forbes. Um, so... Um, Back in 2010, yeah, between 2010 and 2012, we lived over worst times in terms of insecurity. And at those, uh, during those years, I was finishing my PhD in artificial intelligence. I was working towards smart societies of robots. Uh, there is very few people in Mexico that uh, has a PhD or studies a PhD in technology. So I was playing like a very low percentage part of the of, of the uh, of the total population in Mexico, like kind of a privilege. Um, receiving a lot of awards, mainly because I was the only one. <laughs> uh, but those 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 moments make me feel like I'm receiving a lot of awards. I'm receiving a lot of preparation, and I'm not actually doing anything to, to change my current city situation. I'm not helping. I'm not, I'm writing papers. I'm writing books. I'm doing research. Uh, and I'm even working in smart societies, but of robots, not of people. So what will happen if I jump into the humanities um, or social sector? Uh, and I started using some of the algorithms that I used in my dissertation for mining Twitter, uh, creating bots that alerted people about risk situations mainly. And that kind of information in, in a very short year, uh, maybe 2014, it was um, leveraged as, as a digital asset that um, under this concept of the village gossip, right? You know, that this, there is this concept that all women in neighborhoods know everything that is happening there. So, so we were kind of digitizing that village gossip and making it a digital asset for now for authorities to understand their localities. Uh, and then I realized I jumped from robotics into the civic tech uh, or now the cop tech uh, world, the government technology world. That was it. <laughs> Could you describe how the company was founded? How the four co-founders, one was a political science background and three in technology background, met? 
Uh, yes, um, so that I, I kind of define my role in OCD. I, I'm, officially, I have this, this level of being the CEO. Uh, I like to feel myself more like a co-CEO and at the same time, I'm, I'm kind of the glue between the companies. Uh, what, and perhaps what I did best uh, until today with the company is to, to, bring, to bring us together. Two, two of the founders, um, they were, well, three of the founders were studying uh, in the same university. Although there are, there are kind of 15 years apart, but uh, between OECD and the university, but we studied the same thing. We studied mechatronics engineering. Uh, with one of them, also he's also named Jesus. He's the only two. Uh, he and I we started working. Uh, I probably since 2007, so 13 years working together here and there. Uh, then Alex, who's uh, the other mechatronics engineer, he was uh, running a data science company in Mexico City. Uh, and when the first, the other three and me started what we call One Smart City, which is a previous version of OS City, um, we talked to Alex about the possibilities to merge or to work together. He was much more into data science. So we were like, uh, how can we improve One Smart City services using data science? Like we would like to do data science for cities, for governments, for the public sector in general. Uh, and there was a good interest uh, by Alex. We started having conversations about merging companies. Uh, maybe we, we flirted together for more than three years until we merged. Uh, and during those times, uh, I always felt that we were um, having a huge and very deep and powerful, uh, with a lot of potential expertise in technology. Um, we were masters in PhDs in artificial intelligence, masters in data science. But working into government technology, we had no one with political expertise or public sector expertise. So I was accepted in a, on a fellowship by the Organization of the American States, and I was the only engineer there. So everyone there was a political scientist, so I felt like I was in the right room to find a co-founder. Uh, so there's where we met Lucas. Uh, Lucas, he's, he's, a, he's a PhD in political science in the company. He's from Argentina. Uh, uh, he's a the most Mexican Argentinian, we feel like the more the most Argentinians in Mexico. <laughs> so we, we were a perfect land. We we, we felt that were, there was a lot of chemistry, good energy, good vibes. First night that we met, we we, we, we empty a bottle of whiskey talking about the future. Uh, even though he was a political scientist, he was talking about blockchain in the public sector. So it was like, ah, this guy knows about uh, technology. So maybe it's easier to talk to him about our technology. And, and his customers or his role. And he founded a previous company called Prince Consulting. He was doing smart cities and an open government consultancy for, for government. So he was actually the one speaking government language. Uh, it, was, right. it was a perfect blend. So back in 2017, more or less, we, we put everything on a blender, uh, always hit uh, one smart city and Prince Consulting and Data4. The three startups made a blend and then four founders uh, uh, Created what, what today is OSCP. OCD is dubbed as an operating system for a city. Could you describe in an easy to understand language for people with minimum tech background what OCD is doing to optimize urban and spatial development and citizen sediments? Yes, yes. Uh, well, first, the, the main reason we, we call the company OSCD it's because it's a, it's a mix between one smart city, which is kind of our goal, build one smart city at a time until we can transform the region. Uh, open source, because everything that we do is open source from a technology standpoint. And uh, operating system, as you said. 
And from the operating system, and, and as you and as you asked, I'm trying to simplify the the, the what we do. Uh, what we created is actually an opportunity for governments or public administrations in general to replicate what we had as individuals. If you think in our last maybe 20, maybe 15 years, we evolved digitally as individuals, mainly because we had access. We had our mobile devices, our phones, tablets, and maybe our uh, uh, computers, and access to what we call today the App Store or the Play Store. So you can have a lot of technology there, and most of the times you don't even pay for it. It's free. And if you pay, it's very cheap, cheap because development costs are distributed among all the users of the App Store or the Club Store or the, or the Play Store. So what we try to do, and this is the concept of the operating system for, for cities, it's a gov store. It's a place, it's a digital store where governments can access continuous uh, technology, continuous apps, what we call them modules, where they can digitize different government agencies or different processes, and couple all the different models, such as we uh, couple all the different apps in our mobile devices to accomplish a certain goal, particularly digital transformation. Old City prefers to see government agencies using its technology. This is for the public sectors. When it comes to the private sectors, more people in other cities are using your platform, correct? Uh, yes. I mean, in the end, when, when you're a startup, uh, there's a lot of uncertainty in terms of cash flow, in terms of the strategy, in terms of customers, in terms of uh, uh, product market fit, and these kind of challenges. So because of these challenges, then we, we needed to have this multi-sector uh, approach uh, and uh, again leveraging our technologies. So one of the best ones that we that we have found, and it is kind of mixed between private and, and, and public, is the energy sector. Uh, there is a lot of interest on energy savings. There is a lot of uh, trickery on that sector because some of the companies that provide clean energy, for example, if there's one provider and Jen wanted clean energy and I also wanted clean energy, then they say, oh, I can provide 100% of your energy and it's going to be clean and then i bought it and then you bought it and they are kind of duplicating the cells and they are it's fake it's not real so there is a big opportunity there to implement technologies that that bring uh that brings out transparency so similar to the things that we do in the public sector with transparency technologies or anti-corruption technologies um then we use that on the energy sector as well our core interest is to make the public sector understand how emerging technologies can be helpful uh, for their main challenges, which is, for example, poverty. Right? What's the biggest reason why Old City transferred from NGO to for-profit company? Uh, at the very beginning, we, we were thinking of a non-profit model because we were feeling more like activists. Uh, in the end, I still feel like I'm an entrepreneur disguised. I'm an activist disguised as an entrepreneur, right? <laughs> uh, um, so somehow being a non-profit was, uh, was a safe world to implement technologies because when you become a private sector, then you go into the dark side from, from the perspective of the public sector, right? And now you're selling, now you are not, you are not having a pure willing to make good. Right. This is this is a general perspective. If you are making money, then then I don't know about your true intentions. Uh, so this is the thing. Uh, but to be honest, we 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 found ourselves in this happy problem that if we gave tools for free because of finding funds for nonprofits, then government workers who are actually the main uh, users because they are the ones operating the information or, or they end up with an action to fix something on the cities, uh, 
if, if you don't charge uh, them, then they don't use the platform. And if you charge them, then they use it. It's a happy problem for a startup, right? We say like, it was free. Now we're now we're charging and you're using it. And so, so, so it started to become a, a a good model, a good model. And even though this is very, very different from traditional uh, startups like B2B or B2C kind of startups, which is also B2G. Um, even though it's very different, like for example, if you go to an investor, to a VC uh, investor, they say like, can you show me your monthly recurring revenue? Like there's no government that pays you monthly. <laughs> that's, not, that's not even in their language. Uh, at most you can have an annual uh, revenue. Um, so, so you need to learn a lot on how to manage finances. Uh, when, when, uh, when you're going to see the months that where you receive payments, how to administrate or manage the money. Um, when, when, when it's uh, let's say low or or budget planning time for governments. Uh, but the good side, uh, different from a B two B and B two C, is that one customer here has a bigger ticket size. So it's a sacrifice. It's less customers. Uh, but bigger tickets, um, and, and this is how we learn to 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 navigate. What is the process of the artisan origin? How do artisans sign up, and how do people buy products from these artisans? Yes, well, this is this is the the handcrafted products uh, project that I was referring. So artisan artisan was born as part of a funding that we received from the Ethereum Classic Foundation. Uh, um, we are a portfolio company of Ethereum Classic. Uh, and what they were looking was for blockchain usages beyond decentralized finance, beyond that. Uh, and um, what we found was an opportunity to talk with a friend. Now she's leading what we call the Origin Group. Uh, so artists and Origin is part of the Origin Group. Origin Group has fashion, has food, has uh, artisan projects or products uh, in different um, branches. Uh, and she she already had her company uh, coordinating indigenous communities in Chiapas in the south of Mexico, building these handcrafted products. And then she sells these products to a Spotify. No, Shopify, sorry, but Shopify. She has a Shopify, she has this only marketplace, and then she connects both worlds, she prepares or professionalizes indigenous people, and then and but she's all into fair trade. So when she understood about blockchain, she said, like, this, this can be an enhancement and this can be a competitive advantage for my company. Uh, so her brand adopted OSCT services. So artisans and other everyday people can issue their own digital certificates using OCity, open source blockchain platform. How does OCity validate the authenticity and quality of artisans' products to ensure that the customers can trust the certificates issued through OCity? Yes, well, we, we have different processes, but essentially what you do is scan a QR that, that is associated to the product. Uh, and this QR has associated information about your product. So, for example, in the Artisans project, there are even videos uh, where you can see the, the, the artisan uh, handcrafting your product. So you scan the QR and you see your product that is unique. It's not a, a serially produced. Uh, and you see your product in the video, you see the images, and you see the person. So you have the QR and you have the product. Uh, and then when you get into the into the digital certificate, 
Uh, we followed MIT proposed standards. It's an open standard. This ensures longevity of the QR, longevity of the certificate. They don't depend on OSAP, for example, or Artisan. These are uh, openly uh, verifiable certificates. Uh, so with this standard, there is just a button below the certificate where you click verify. And it does four things. The first thing is uh, checking for tampered information. Like if, if this is um, uh, information on the certificate data has been manipulated. Uh, the second one is authenticity if there is no duplicate, essentially. The third one, if it hasn't or wasn't uh, revoked by the issuer, so maybe maybe you issued something something wrong and then you can revoke that uh, um, certificate. And the fourth one, and this may not work quite for for the, for, for the origin group, but, but it works for many other things. It's a uh, expiration. Maybe you want to to make the certificate have, have to has uh, to have an, an expiration date. Um, so that's that's four things and. We're adding a fifth, a fifth one, um, a little bit stepping beyond the standard. Uh, so this is exploratory, but we're adding a fifth, a fifth one that is associated with attachments because these um, uh, certificates, for example, are used for same philosophy, same thing, but for construction permits in a government. So it is urban development. So you use it there. Uh, you can scan the QR on a construction site and see and access the documents and validate the documents that you're accessing are, are the ones that were originally uh, attached to that QR. So you validate all the information with, with your phone. So on the public sector world, citizens become auditors of the city and on the on the private sector world, the, the customers, the end user becomes a validator of their own products. For UNICEF Innovation Fund, the funding was made only in Ether. Cryptocurrency and UNICEF required O-City and seven other companies in the program to keep the funds as cryptocurrency and prohibited converting it to a fiat. What did you think about that? Wasn't this challenging taking into consideration that cryptocurrency is not a legal tender and many other companies still don't accept cryptocurrency? Yeah, I mean, this is it's a tricky question because it, it was first, it was super efficient. Like we, we were part of the first blockchain cohort and they gave us a fiat money and it took idea more or less to have the full process going and then when, when all the process went uh, straightforward then signing the contract and getting the money was a thing about maybe one or two, or two months that was relatively fast but the process took more than one year and when it came to crypto fund they evaluated the project they evaluated the company and they said okay yes yeah, sign the contract and bloop, money is transferred transferring it there it's first is trustable because they know they can see where they deposited and where the money went um, so, so that's something about transparency, sorry, and about uh, use of funds that they want to take care. In the end, they are United Nations behind. Um, so, so it was super efficient. So for us, it was kind of an experiment. It was like, like see how it goes. And another thing, it's because because it is money that it's um, kind of as a savings money today because we haven't started using that from the day that we received till today. Ether has grown almost up to double. So would you say when these kind of funds give out this cryptocurrency to a company like O-City, it's not to spend the money right away, but more like a bond to see how the currency can increase or decrease and to be able to cash it later on? Yeah, I will say that that was the intention. I think that the intention was a little... First, 
to position blockchain beyond just uh, money to see that you can make impact, you can have social projects uh, funded by cryptocurrencies. I think this is what this was the main experiment. I'm putting words in, in the ideas of Unicef, right? So, so disclaimer only there. Uh, but that, I guess this was a kind of the philosophy and to have a transparent and traceable approach of where the funds are going. So I think this is what is best. And at the same time, it was agile. And, and there's also a strategical part, which, which is about partnering. Uh, behind this investment is the Ethereum Foundation. Ethereum Foundation is perhaps, and, and I'm going to mention her, her director, uh, Aja Migaguchi. Aja is super happy to see what OECD is doing. And OECD is super happy that Aya is super happy because that, you want visibility, you want credibility, you want people to understand that what you're doing is actually building the first stones towards creating a new way of governance. This is actually the foundations of Ethereum uh, to try to build the new decentralized uh, world. So we're, we're contributing there using their technology. So if we use their money, money is transparent, money is traceable, uh, because money is Ether, uh, it's not uh, fiat. And then we use that to create a project that it's modernizing or changing the way that governments are, oper are operating using this emerging technology, the blockchain. Then you have a full picture of reinvention, right? And, and this is, I guess, what they are trying to tell. And at the same time, this is what we were trying to to make visible or, or to shout out loud by applying to a crypto fund. What are the company's short and long-term goals right now? Um, well, it's it's hard to think on the long term, right? The, the last December we had goals for 2020 that, that I don't know where those went. <laughs> this March changed everything, right? Uh, but in the short term, what we want to do is to solidify our relationship with multilateral organizations, for example, uh, the Inter-American Development Bank, the Bank of, for the Development of Latin America. These, these uh, organizations, these uh, institutions are looking for governments to, to fund and, 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 and to modernize or implement this kind of technology. So solidifying for us those relationships sound like a strategic move, like a, a settling the company in a, in, in, as a provider of modernization, uh, particularly in Corona times, right? So short-term goals are to push that uh, leg that we call the, the GovTech Lat, the GovTech Latin America uh, ecosystem, so that we can pave the road in terms of uh, capacity uh, and, and technology expertise in the public sector, so this kind of an ecosystem and an academy that prepares public servants to understand blockchain, to understand AI, so that we can serve uh, our technologies at the same time. What is one piece of advice that you would give to aspiring entrepreneurs? Um, so uh, I guess I guess the most important thing, and this may sound like a cliche, but it's it's to find a problem, or to, and particularly if that problem is aligned to your purpose. Uh, this sounds philosophical, but but if I wasn't feeling hurt by the way governments operate, I probably would have left this world. I, I'm, I'm in this world because I feel like I'm adding some value to society. Um, I, was, I was living comfortably in the research world. University paid to me, I was, I, I was writing books and papers. That's a comfortable life and that's okay. But I, I started to feel that I was uh, able to to just connect two worlds and do the same things and make so and make an impact and that became a purpose and then i found that with the technologies and the technological preparation that that i had and then now that the co-founders have 
and nothing that they always see the team has uh, and our partners as well, all these kind of mix uh, has the potential to actually build the future of governments. It's, it, that's the main reason that I, I, I keep pushing and I'm here. I know that with our technologies, blockchain, AI and our operation, I know that if we were B2B, we will, we will probably raise millions. Maybe, I don't know, maybe I some cocky. That, that didn't exist five years ago. Uh, so, so we feel that we are on the right way, that somewhere uh, this train is going to become a spaceship and hopefully we're on the first seats. <laughs> so for aspiring entrepreneurs, try to find this approach so that you can feel that you are on the front of the roller coaster. It's going to be painful, it's going to be fun at the same time. <laughs> if I could only use one word to describe Mr. Cepeda, it would have to be passionate. He's a man with a clear dream, and if I would have asked him to speak to us about that dream, he would have been on this podcast for hours. It became clear after hearing Mr. Cepeda that he truly believed he was born on this planet to be doing what he's doing now. I'm impressed by his works and I really hope his team succeeds. To learn more about Mr. Cepeda and other entrepreneurs we will interview in this podcast and to see behind the scenes of how we create each and every episode, follow us on our Instagram page at Passioners Podcast. Big thanks to Mr. Cepeda for coming on to our show today. We used original music by Chiazo Ajila. Go check out her work at her website, chiazo.github.io. Other music we have used are listed on our website at passionerspodcast.com. And stay tuned for the next episode by Fernando and Jin about the company Global Citizen Year, a nonprofit based in Oakland that recruits and trains a diverse corps of American high school seniors to participate in an immersion-based international bridge year, often called a gap year, for starting college. Passioners Podcast tells the stories of entrepreneurs and their journeys. My name is Mike Garcia, and that will conclude the end of this episode. Thank you for listening. <laughs>